Hello and welcome to Wordwise Podcast. I'm your host, Jamie Frassivulu. I'm sat in front of my computer with my producer, Blake. We're having a little Zoom conversation, a little Zoom meeting. I practically feel like I live on Zoom at the minute in the current times. How are you, Blake? I'm sorry, mate. I'm, uh, I was a Zoom virgin this time uh, yesterday, but I've had about four meetings now, so I'm getting there with it. It's cool, isn't it? Yeah, no, I like it personally, especially for someone not not particularly tech-minded like myself. Um, I've, I've found it absolutely brilliant to use. The screen share option on it is great. I've managed to do workshops on it and everything, so yeah, I'm, I'm completely buzzing with this. Uh, it is, it's good. I just don't even think it's new technology, but it's new to me. Yeah, it's new to me as well. But yeah, it's uh, it's ideal, isn't it? Yeah, it'll do us for now, won't it? How <laughs> <laughs> you been then? What you what you been up to? Obviously, been in, been stuck indoors, same as everyone else. But you still been managing to do a bit. Yeah, I've done it. You know, I've done some online workshops. I've done a couple of bits with schools online as well, which has been nice. So still been able to to share the love of poetry and share the spoken word. Um, I've also been using the time to work on my novel, which is something that I'm that, that is my big project at the minute. I'm writing basically. This is about my ninth attempt at writing a novel, and I scrapped the other eight because I just didn't think they were good enough. But this particular one, I'm really excited about, and yeah, I'm really in the zone with it, which is great. I've also been spending the time um, getting some podcast interviews done, so we've got quite quite a lot of good stuff lined up. And I'm also working on my third poetry collection and um, a bit of a, a bit of a short film script. So yeah, to be honest really? with you, I can't actually pretend that I'm not enjoying this lockdown because in terms of my creative my creativity, it's it's been brilliant for it. If I'm being honest, for it's pe- just really good for people for people that are creative and create content that that you can put out there that people can consume while they're in isolation doing nothing. It is actually quite a a good time for us if if you've got stuff you can bang out there it's actually kind of striking why the iron's hot people are doing nothing let's get our stuff out there and it's a, a massive shot window into it yeah definitely i mean i've um i've had a decent increase in my youtube subscriptions i've, I've been posting a bit of content on there so yeah it's, it's it's pretty cool in that in that respect you know i suppose you've got to take the positives from the negatives really and i'm i'm you know i try to be upbeat in these times it's obviously been a bad time for a lot of people and I you know I really sympathize with anybody that's um, lost family and, and the people that have been lost to this terrible virus but at the end of the day I think we have to keep going you know so you, you, you can get consumed in doom and gloom or you can do something about it and keep yourself upbeat and active and keep your mind healthy that's basically where I'm at with it well, the, the, obviously, the real heroes are the people on the front line fighting it. But I think there's a lot to be said for people that are working at radio stations, TV stations, providing content that are uplifting people during this time as well. So there is a lot to be said for we're not just capitalising it for our own gain. It is getting things out there, trying to help people. And there's a lot to be said for just, you know I mean, just being there for people and just having something to, to get you through it. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, like I myself, I put out a, a little workshop the other day just a writing workshop that I recorded on here, actually, on Zoom. And, and the re- the reason I did that was to try and keep people sane. So some of my own fellow writers, poets, people who've never even tried writing or poetry, give them something to have a little go at and, and just 
you know, consume some of the time and try something new and keep their mental health in good shape. You know, I suppose in a way I didn't need to do that video, but I just thought that it was the least I can do really just do what I can to help people. Cause you know, I'm not, I'm no skilled NHS worker. Um, I, I'm not working really hard in the supermarkets to keep the shelves stacked like a lot of other people um, and putting up with abuse from the general public as well. I've heard some terrible stories um, from supermarket workers on how they're being treated by the public. So first, first and foremost, I'd like to urge all of our listeners, if they see any member of the public abusing supermarket staff, pull them up about it. I think it's on us. It's our onus to say, don't speak to them like that, mate, because I ain't having it. If, if I encounter it, I'll be pulling people up because they're, they're serving us. They're, they're risking their lives, essentially, to you know, working in these positions where they're in contact with lots of people. And to get abuse off the general public is absolutely disgusting. So as much as I've seen some good things come out of this, I've also seen a lot of bad behaviour from human beings. And I think that it's, it's, it's on us all as a species to, to pull people up about that. Yeah, the same as anything in the world. What brings the good out in people and the good people, it brings the bad out and the, and the worst in a lot of people, doesn't it? So, yeah. Uh, yeah, if you see anything, uh, don't stand for it. No, don't stand for it. Listeners, do your bit all the time. Yeah, that's that's yeah. kind of a what the word wise vigilantes. <laughs> word wise vigilantes, mate. Yeah, definitely, definitely. <laughs> so um we're gonna cut to my very shortened debut video diary. Well, not video diary, audio diary. It was obviously yeah. intended to be longer, but I did a couple of jobs that I remembered to do a diary log for since the last episode. So yeah, we'll share that with our listeners now. It's obviously a shortened version. It will normally be a lot longer, but being as a, a, a lot of the work's been sort of cancelled or postponed till later in, in the year, um, it is short, but I thought it's still worth sharing it with our listeners. So, yeah, we'll listen to that now. Yes, people. So this is my diary for on the road, sort of from the week commencing 9th of March. So on Tuesday night, I ran a workshop for the homeless community at St Trinity's Church on Babington Lane in Derby, which I'm glad to say was a success. Um, we got some great words out of the homeless folks um, voicing their experience. We ate together, we read some poems, I performed a few poems, got them doing some tasks, and it was a really, you know, really emotional experience and there was some really hard-hitting words that, that, that were created. Um, hats off to Peter. Um, from Derby City Mission who who set up the group and it's a regular thing. They're, they're going to be doing a sharing evening um, sometime in April, which I'm just waiting for the date to be confirmed. So I'll, I'll uh, blast that out on my social media. Um, I've just got back from Abbott's Bain School, which is in Burton, on the edge of Burton, just past sort of like Repton. And um, I've had a wicked session there this morning. I got interviewed um, about what I do as a poet by a lot of the students. Um, they, they, they've clearly done their homework. They seem to know a lot about me already um, and asked a lot of really interesting questions. And, yeah, it was a you know, really great experience. I then taught a workshop to um, basically a bunch of, um, you know, bunch of lads that maybe not really engaging with poetry, don't really like poetry, and they, they range from year seven to year nine. Um, I always ask 
ask them what they think of poetry at the start of the session and their initial reactions of some of them was that it's boring, they don't like it, etc. And by the end, you know, we'd, we'd made some sort of uh, a different impression upon them. They, they'd created their own poems and a lot of the work was really good. They were really engaged throughout the session. And um, yeah, I'm feeling kind of in high spirits today. Um, it's Friday the 13th, which is a, a, a kind of a strange feeling to feel in high spirits on Friday the 13th for some of us, especially with what's going on in the world right now. But, you know, yeah, I'm feeling good. Another victory for poetry. Um, I'll continue over the coming weeks and, yeah, speak to you soon. Yeah, so that was my audio diary. Obviously, when things pick up, there'll be a lot more content involved. It's something that I am keen to share with people just to let them know how I make a living out of um, this whole poetry and writing malarkey. Um, I think next, Blake, what do you reckon? I'll move straight on to the, the Dead Poets Corner. What's your yeah, thought? Yeah, go on, mate. Yeah. yeah, crack on, mate. Crack on. Yeah, so today I've got Yeah, so today I've got a bit of a treat for us, I feel. Um I've got a fellow Derbyshire poet, which I, okay. I was happy to discover. So this is um a poet called Teresa Hooley, who was born in Derbyshire, and it's it's a well known film called a well known film, a well known poem called A War Film. So I'll be straight with you. I don't know much about her work, um, but I do remember reading this poem many years ago, but I didn't realise that it had any connection to Derbyshire. So obviously me with my love of Derby and Derbyshire, I couldn't help but think, well, this is a good one to share. So yeah, I'll go for it. It goes like this. A war film. I saw with a catch of breath and the hearts uplifting, sorrow and pride, the week's great draw, the Mon Retreat, the old contemptibles who fought and died, the horror, the anguish and the glory. As in a dream, still hearing machine guns rattle and shells scream, I came out into the street. When the day was done, my little son wondered at bath time why I kissed him some. Naked upon my knee, how could he know the sudden terror that assaulted me, the body I had borne? Nine moons beneath my heart, a part of me, if someday it should be taken away to war, tortured, torn, slain, rotting in no man's land, out in the rain, my little son. How should he know why I kissed and kissed and kissed him, crooning his name? He thought that I was daft, he thought it was a game, and laughed and laughed so there we go yeah i figured it was uh, wow. yeah i suppose it, reading through it again now is kind of uh, there's, there's still i suppose a lot of uh, similarities with with the present day in terms of yeah. um, this idea of loss and yeah it's yeah it's quite, quite a deep, deep. that was quite deep wasn't it yeah, it's a deep one. I like, you know, I really like the poem, and and obviously I wanted to, in the spirit of keeping alive the words of a poet that's no longer with us, I thought, yeah, we'll go for that. We'll go for that. Definitely. Yeah, I liked it, but very deep, very uh, thought provoking, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's brilliant. Yeah. So uh, that's the dead poet's corner for this episode. So what I reckon we'll do now, Blake, 
we'll move straight on to an excellent interview that I was lucky enough to conduct last week with the award-winning social documentary photographer, Jim Mortram. Um, Jim okay. Mortram is actually a full-time carer for his ma and, and his dad as well. So, you know, essentially he, he has a lot to deal with in life. Um, he knows a lot about isolation. Um, it's more or less part of his daily existence. So I kind of figured it'd be, it'd be quite interesting to hear from the perspective of somebody that deals with isolation a lot. You know, a lot of people, I think, uh, don't get me wrong, I understand people being sort of downbeat about the current situation. But for some people, this is permanent anyway. And yeah. I think it might put people's thoughts into perspective and make them realise that, you know, some people are overreacting. At the end of the day, we've just got to, we've got to stay inside for X amount of time, however long that's going to be. Some people have that all the time. And I thought that, you know, Jim's a guy whose work I really respect. Um, I was lucky enough to write the foreword for his um, photography collection, Small Town Inertia. And yeah, he's, he's a guy I owe a lot to. So yeah, I look forward to bringing that to you. So uh, yeah, without further ado, here's the interview I conducted last week with Jim Mortram. I'm good, thank you, my friend. You? Yeah, all good, mate. All good. As as good as can be in these times. Similar, you know, similar to yourself. Similar to yourself. Yeah, yeah. So um, we'll start off by I'm just going to let you explain a little bit about small town inertia and and how that came about, really. Okay. Um, as ever, I'm going to condense about 15 years into about 60 <laughs> seconds. Otherwise, it'll take the whole podcast. <laughs> yeah, cool. Um, I was at art school um, in, what, 1990, the early 1990s. So long ago. I've forgotten when it was, to be honest. Um, studying for uh, a degree in painting. And this is in Norfolk. It was Norwich Art School. And my mother has always been uh, poorly and disabled. And whilst I was studying, she got really, really ill, bedridden. Um, so I took the decision to quit art school and return home and become her principal carer. I was kind of flush with the arrogance and the ego of the early, my early 20s, thinking, oh, this, this won't be a problem. I, I'll sort this out. This is a problem. You think you can fix everything at that age. Mm -hmm. So I returned home and very quickly I realized the gravity of the situation. And the next thing I know, 15 years have gone by. Yeah. There's no fixing the situation. There's no remedy. Um, and it utterly transformed me as a, as a human being. I mean, it completely derailed any plans or aspirations I had in life outside of the family, which was okay. That was the decision that I made and I stuck to it and stick to it. It's 25 years now that I've been mum's carer. Um, but it also had a, a profound effect on, on me as a, as a person um, to the positives and to the detriment. You know, the positives are that it was really, I switched one university course for another. You know, I switched painting for a, very long I've probably got an MA in empathy you yeah, know, that's yeah. how long that I've been doing this and it really taught me how to do things like um get rid of my ego because there's no ego in place when you're you're a carer you can't um do anything but acquiesce to the 
the needs and the demands of the person you're you're caring for so it doesn't really matter what you want you have to be of service that's that's the same for every carer in in the country um and of course you're bound by a sense of duty and you're bound by love and you're bound by this 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 commitment this is something that the government i'll hasten to add knows which is why they get away with paying us a pound an hour you know it's 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 pretty unbelievable that situation uh, but personally, what it did was it made me have the same lifestyle that, that my mother and my father ended up having, which is one of complete isolation and total um, marginalization. You know, I stopped, uh, stopped socializing, stopped going out, didn't have any money to do it anyway. And pretty quickly, I was living a completely solitary life. Um, yeah, so like 15 years later, 15 years into it, um, I'd reached a point where I just stopped speaking. I didn't speak out loud for the best part of a year. And life is full of junctions and doorways that you can never preempt or, or see coming. You can't read the future. And I didn't know that in on, on my future, this journey, that I was on that seemed to have completely stagnated and put me in this uh, this prison, if you like, had a an amazing doorway waiting for me that would completely transform my life. And it took something as 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 simple as a friend popping around while I was uh, probably at my lowest lowest ebb, and uh, he had a camera with him, and he said, Look, "Just keep this, take a few shots." get out, walk around the block or something, see if, it, um, see if you enjoy it. And I think what had happened was having this camera all of a sudden kind of rebooted me like, like a hard drive. It wiped all the experience of the, or the, 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 like the atrophy of the last preceding 15 years and, and, kick-started me back and I was suddenly found myself in the same frame of mind that I was in while I was studying painting and I paired that with all of the lessons that I'd learned through being a carer and all of this personal like downward spiral <laughs> and suddenly I had um, an outlet so suddenly I had a, a tool that I could use and I could use all by myself I didn't need to involve anybody else which was good because I didn't know anybody else um, and sometimes you get a lucky break. And my lucky break was that I, I was instinctively able to use the camera. You know, I, I kind of, it's a process of, if you take every in, inspiring um, thing that you draw inspiration from and you kind of let them marinate for a good decade, 15 years, I realized that I'd already studied so much stuff so much painting so much cinema so much uh literature so much poetry so not too much photography ironically um but all of this primes me that i knew what uh, i knew how i saw things you know i knew how i wanted to see things and more importantly i knew what i wanted to do with that with that ability um so you couple those lucky those lucky moments with a new conservative government, so it's the beginning of austerity, um, and you also couple it with the the real first massive flush of online sharing. So I was able to make photographs, 
very quickly I, I find myself um, making photographs. What happened for me personally that really kick-started this was the very first week I think I had this camera, I was, you know, I was walking around the block taking pictures of sheep and trees, not too exciting for me. Um, but there was one person that I had a point of contact with, an unspoken point of contact, that was an elderly neighbour. I'd often go for walks really early in the morning, at two, three o'clock in the morning, and he'd always be awake, and he'd always put his hand up, and I'd put my hand up. Uh, yeah, and to cut a long story short, what happened was he beckoned me in. I still wasn't speaking at this point, but I kind of motioned to my camera, and he was like, yeah, yeah, I do, do what you like. Started making photographs with him, and what happened was it, it was like a, a key had been placed into his, the epicenter of his soul. And he opened up and he just poured out the last 20 years of his life to me. So I just sat there at his feet listening, making photographs. And we did this a, a, a few times. Then I found out that he was in hospital, he had cancer, and then he passed away through an infection. And his parting gift to me was he gave me the blueprint for what small town inertia was to become. I realized I, didn't, I wasn't interested in making photographs uh, about me or about my vision of the world. I wanted to make uh, testimonials and pay homage to all of the people around me. And WH left, left me with that gift. He kind of gave me that blueprint. That was... Um, probably the most important moment of clarity and inspiration of my entire life. And I think about him every day because of that. Every time I look at a camera, a photograph, he's, he still exists. And that was the thing that really uh, moved me about photography in that you, you can kind of cheat mortality with it. Yeah. You know, the, the pictures that I make, and very importantly, the fact that I shared uh, written testimony, quotes, interviews, that's probably more important than the photographs. The way that I think about photographs is that they're um, hooks that stop people for long enough so they might actually read the testimony and uh, understand a little bit more about the people around them because certainly from, from day one until now, probably the prime motivator is that we find ourselves at this moment in history living in a, in a, in a time and a society where people don't talk and people don't listen. And I think it's probably the cause of most of the ills that we face from Brexit to austerity to the imbalance of wealth, imbalance of power, communities fractured. You can follow it all the way back to Thatcher right up till now. Um, yeah, so small town inertia grew pretty quickly, I would say, even though, you know, I've been doing it for over 10 years now um but it's all community it's all built within my community so I, I started out making portraits in the street with people that i just kind of encounter whilst doing my care duties you know picking my mum's meds up doing the shopping you know people in supermarket queues or bus stops or that kind of thing and then one day uh, a really lovely guy called Stuart said look i can't really talk in the streets too noisy do you want to come back to my place have a cup of tea and again there's another doorway that was opened up and transformed my life because i found that whilst in someone's home in their environment everything changed people become more um open and they're able to share more 
and yeah so what what really happens or what really happened was all so organic you know i don't i don't ask people if i can take their picture i get people phoning me up saying they want to do it over the years you you know because i've everybody that i've ever made a photograph with i continue to talk to i consider them my extended family all of them um they're all my my community and, I, and i'm theirs and it's even without knowing what it was because you know i'm not educated at all in, in in photography formally it's all it's all you know picked up from amazing people online and being inspired by other uh, photographers I, I didn't even know what long form photography was when i started um for those that don't know what it is it means you spend a long time doing it and i always figured yeah. that you know I, I was i think if you've had moments in your life that have been dark and you remember them and you you learn from them um not as scars but as signifiers you know a lesson i always figured that I wouldn't want anyone to make a photograph of me at my lowest and then just fuck off. Yeah. I would want them to continue the story to ask me, you know, it's all the W's in it. Who, what, why, when. Yeah. So that's how I've applied my um, sense of morality and empathy to the camera being that I would never treat anyone in any other way that I myself wanted to be treated. Um, so ultimately the whole, the whole process, the whole project, the whole series, whatever you want to call it for me, it's just life. You know, that's what I call it. Um, it's really all about being a, a reaction to the imbalance of power, the imbalance of wealth, austerity, and not giving people a voice, but just amplifying the voice that no one's been fucking listening to. Yeah. Brilliant. And I think that a massive thing about what you do is the fact that you attach the narratives to the pictures. And, um, I know that obviously small town inertia is available as a book through blue coat. And, um, I, obviously I was lucky enough to take part in the exhibition at side gallery. Um, 100%. which that was, was a the, huge honor, man. Yeah. At the start of last year. And that yeah. was great. So what, what are your plans for the, for the future? Did, did I hear you say you're working on another two books? Yeah, that's, that's correct. I mean, obviously, anyone creative at the moment, everything's up, up in the air. We don't know what's going to happen. We don't know what's going to happen to the economy. Are people going to be able to even afford things, a l relative luxury like photo books? Yeah. 12 months from now. We don't know. But, um, I mean, obviously, at the moment, I'm in lockdown. Yeah. I have been for two weeks because I've got two high-risk parents. My mother's obviously bedridden. Um, but you know what? The, the photography kind of takes takes care of itself. You, you you always have to have the right moment and the right situation to do that anyway. And 95% of the time I go out to make pictures, I don't. I'll, I'll be talking to someone and listening to them. Listening mm -hmm. is so so much an integral part of everything that I do. You know, you don't get to make pictures that don't look like photographs where somebody is aware of the camera mm -hmm. unless you have a lot of trust and a lot of water under the bridge and a lot of um, respect for each other, you yeah. know, because for me, it's all, it's all a collaboration. So the photography might have 
stopped at the moment. I, I mean, I've probably shot half of book two. Yeah. As it stands. Um, but that doesn't stop me, you know, every night going online <clears throat> and talking to everybody from book one and book two. Yeah. Checking in, making sure they're all right, seeing if anyone needs any help, any food, any supplies, or, you know, picking up the telephone and calling those that can't afford the internet or don't have the internet. Yeah. So, but I've done that forever anyway. Um, it, it's more a community act than it is the act of a photographer. I mean, I know I, I probably am a photographer, but I'm a human being first. So the, the things you do as a human being aren't going to be stopped by being in isolation. But yeah, so um, to answer your question a little bit more uh, on point, <clears throat> yeah, I'm working on book two, which is a direct sequel to book one, because un unlike the powers that be would have you believe, austerity is not finished, it's not over. If anything, life is a lot fucking harder for people now, and it's going to get even worse given the current um, situation, the COVID situation. Um, and then when book two's done, I hope, fingers crossed, that'll come out when the work's finished. You know, I'm not gonna, I never rush things. I always take time because stories take time. Yeah. You know, I, I could probably make a book in a week if I wanted to. Yeah. Making, a, making photographs isn't that hard, but you have to allow a story to naturally progress and evolve you can't rush these things because you never know what's going to happen yeah. so you know i had in book two was very much going to be about life post brexit now it's going to be life post brexit and a pandemic yeah yeah so yeah that's that's where i'm at right now so it's very and i've got to say one of the absolute treasures that i've got you know i think when it's a it's a real intense period of reflection at the moment you know you've got time a little bit of time anyway to to think about things and you know i remember the first time i saw your writing it was a video a video of yours and i was so blown away i just thought fuck it i'm gonna ask if you want to do it and yeah. out of that i've got a brother and out of that i've got the best preface to my you know my what was my first book um because it was always really important to me uh that each individual kind of like uh discipline interacts with others yeah you know you get a lot of you get a lot of cliques and all that sort of stuff and I'm, that's not my bag at all um i want to work and i've always wanted to work with people from other other disciplines uh, and i don't know why more people don't do that because I think it's utterly essential. So, yeah. thank you. Yeah, no, thanks for it. Thanks for talking to us today. And so, obviously, you have a website for small town inertia as well, right? I do. Yeah. So people, you want links? yeah. So, so people who say are not in a position to afford the books or whatever, they can still go on, look at the photos, read some of the narrative. Yeah, yeah, the so. book is available for free digitally. Oh, brilliant. Um, if you go to uh, J-A-M-O-R-T-R-A-M, J-A-Mortram at, oh, Christ, what's my website? No, it's not that, is it? <laughs> it's jamortram.co.uk. If you go there, you can look at the, the, the book in its entirety with all the text for free. 
um, you can also see a portrait section and what is an art uh, like a repository where I've been dumping loads of stuff from what will be book two. Uh, you can also look at the long form stories in their entirety at smalltowninertia.co.uk. Brilliant. And uh, yeah, come talk to me on social media. You'll find me on Instagram uh, at smalltowninertia, uh, on Twitter at JA Mortram. Um, pop along, have a chat. I know a lot of people probably aren't used to isolation. I know that most carers are, so we're kind of hardwired to deal with this stuff, but a lot of people it's going to really affect. And that, that first flush of um, terror that kind of can come from it is hard to deal with. Every carer that I know has dealt with that. And I know that there's going to be a lot of people out there that never have, and they're going to have um, a tough time. So if you want to chat, hit me up. Always happy to have a, a NASA. Brilliant. Thanks for talking to us today, Jim. Nice one. I'll speak to you Pleasure, soon, man. Take care. Take care. So that was the interview I conducted with Jim Mortram. Um, he's given you his name and details to follow him on social media, connect with him. I'd advise on doing so. He's an absolutely top bloke. Um, I, I'm lucky enough to be able to call him a brother now, really. He's a great guy. Um, and yeah, I suppose that's, that's kind of all we've got left for the show on this occasion. We've, we've got plenty more coming at you during this period. Um, I'd like to thank you all for listening in once more. The reaction to the podcast has been brilliant. Um, I, I keep getting messages about it on social media, so it's nice to hear that people are listening to it and interacting. And, yeah, we'll catch you again for the next episode. Say goodbye, Blake. Goodbye, Blake. <laughs> <laughs> oh, typical, mate. Yeah, typical. Nice one. Yeah, goodbye. We'll try and get as many of these out as we can while you're in isolation. Yeah, Sweet. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye.